Welcome to A Bittersweet The Found Entertainment Video Game Podcast, part two of a video game podcast, if you can believe it. Uh, and today we are discussing the top 10, that's 10 through 1, of the games of the eighth generation of video games consoles. I'm always Mike. And I'm always Darren. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, going through numbers 20 through 11 of the t- the 20 greatest games of the generation, please go and listen to that first. Otherwise, you're going to be wondering where a number of great games are because they are going to be in our top 10. They'll be in our top 20, just to give you greater scope of what it is we're feeling. Um, just to remind everybody, these are games that are released between October 2013 and October 2020 from the release date of the... Um, xbox one to the release date of the playstation 5 that is what we consider the goalposts of this exercise and also any console that was producing video games as identified on the wikipedia article of the eighth generation of video games consoles that includes handhelds like the 3ds that includes both the wii u and the nintendo switch as well as obviously the mainstays of playstation xbox and pc Oh, okay. Now that we've re-established the rules, do you want to kick straight back into it, Darren? You went first last time. You may as well go first now. Bully. Uh, right, number 10. Now, in your uh, 20 to 11, not to spoil a little bit, but you talked about uh, Destiny being a game that didn't really get where it needed to be until DLC arrived. Um, this is kind of similar for my number 10, uh, but it's also one of those games where context kind of pushes it up higher into number 10. Not that I'm showing other biases from other genres of entertainment, but at number 10, it is Jurassic World Evolution. Um, from Frontier in 2018, this is the Jurassic Park building game. Um, so I played this the first time round. It still had some, some bugs in it, and not all the DLC had come out, but I still had a good time. It would have made the top 20. What has pushed this higher is, first of all, all the DLC came out. Uh, which is the Secrets of Doctor Wu, um, which is you know a bit of an expansion for the... Um, uh, it's more in-game storyline expansion than anything else. It involves a lot of hybrid dinosaurs that you can have in the game. Uh, then there's Claire's Sanctuary, which is a direct tie-in, kind of. It's like an Elseworlds what-if version of uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Uh, and then the last one is Return to Jurassic Park, which is the 1993 DLC where you go back, again, it's an Elseworlds what-if story of what if you went back and actually tried to get Jurassic Park up and running in, like, 1995. It's it's very silly, but, my God, did I... I was holding it for that DLC to return to that game because I'm a mark for Jurassic Park. You may have heard this from other podcasts. I'm quite fond of that film. Um, but that DLC, or at least the, you know, packaged altogether DLC, happened to come out in the first few weeks of lockdown. So this was the game that got me through those first, that first month, basically, of lockdown when everything was kind of scary. I relaxed and chilled out and enjoyed myself by playing Jurassic World Evolution. So I'll be eternally grateful to this game for that reason. It's it's still just a part management simulator it's nothing more than that but it's got so many dinosaurs so many ways to lay your park all the parks feel because you're doing it on different islands they all feel different to each other that it has a very unique charm and it's just a very it can be quite stressful when all the storms are going and it gets a bit tedious when all your dinosaurs keep escaping but when you're on isla matanceros the first island you unlock there's no storms there's no real big predators if you're sticking to the dinosaurs you unlock at the island. It is my chill place. It is my happy place. Just to hang out on Isla Matanceros 
and everything's fine, and I just feed my little triceratops, and everything's good in the world, Michael. Everything's good. Uh, that that feels good. That, I understand um, that the the lockdown has enabled us to like enjoy video games a lot more, which is real nice. Uh, I really appreciate that. Um, I said in the last episode that my number ten. Uh, after Darren picked Jackass three for his one of his films of the decade, yeah. that I have permanently made the number ten spot in any list the Jackass pick. <laughs> um, it's something that I'm applying to all of my end of year stuff this year. I look back and when I put like Detective Pikachu at number ten for movies in the past, and yeah. it's like that's just a just just a good kids film. It's not cinematic genius. Like no, I have always been a Jackass picker. Um, so my jackass pick at number 10 uh, is uh, it shares half the name uh, it's the Jackbox Party Pack series ah. I've, I've specifically gone for Party Pack 3 because that's my favourite combination of video games um, it includes I believe Fibbage 2 um, Quiplash 2, Gespionage and a couple of other really fun games, I'm going to start my timer now it released in 2016 for PC, Mac, Playstation 4, Xbox One Android, Apple TV, and now the Nintendo Switch. Um, this is the rebirth of party games. Now, we've really only had Mario party games to really go for, unless you count, like, shovelware titles made for the Nintendo Switch. I'm thinking of, like, carnival games and stuff like that. Jackbox brings that back for this generation, and it does it for our actual millennial generation. This is a game that allows you to interact directly with console or PC games, with a mobile phone, therefore there is no barrier to entry. You don't need to know any specific controls. You just need to be funny or clever or weird or creative. It doesn't matter what game you're playing as part of these series, whether you are writing, you know, coming up with your own Mock the Week style jokes or like Cards Against Humanity absurdities in, in Quiplash or whether in Fibbage you're trying to figure out the lie of a a number of lies presented on your screen and find the truth. Or if you're playing Drawful and you're trying to flex your artistic muscle or create something that looks intentionally bad for pity points. Um, Jackbox has all of that and more. It continues to pump packs out. It's just released pack six. Pack seven is going to be the first pack on the next generation of consoles as well. And I'm very much looking forward to playing all of them. This it just appeals to so many people. I've played Jackbox games with people like you, Darren, uh, with my university mm. friends, with my um, cl other close friends, with my wife, with my parents, with my wife's parents. I have I've been able to use the Jackbox games as a kind of uh, a, an avenue into getting people to think about both mobile gaming and video gaming as a as a normal hobby is not something that is an outlier situation. It's be and it's because of that ease of use. This is why Jackbox deserves to be recognised this generation. That's my two minutes. I love that it's the Jackass pick. That makes me very happy as a pick <laughs> that you're like, it's not the best, but my heart loves it so that it needs representation. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny, when we decided to do the 20, I was like, do I make 20 of the Jackass pick? And I'm like, no, it's 10, 10. and it will forever be yeah. number 10. <laughs> uh -huh. like, uh, speaking of Guilty Pleasures, I meant to text you an image of this last night. We Rachel was looking for something to watch on Netflix. We'd, we'd watch some new stuff during the day, so we were going to watch something comforty. And she was flicking through, and she went, um, oh, what's that new Godzilla film like? And she was like, I was like, ah, uh, well, the 2014, uh, it's, it's fine. 
Oh no, sorry, it's the '98 one. <laughs> oh no! Guess what we watched last night? It's I I will never understand people who don't like Godzilla '98. I fucking adore that stupid, stupid movie. <laughs> We still need to have that episode where we just play deeper underground through the entirety of your pitch. And, and I pitched the, Jurassic, the Godzilla sequel we never got. That's just... Yeah. Oh, I'm saving that for a particularly, like, down week where I'm like, oh, I'm just a bit sad. I'm just going to pitch Godzilla 2. <laughs> Godzilla 2000 is something that needs to happen. Oh, God. I still get, get a little get sad at the end when the little egg opens and Rachel's like, oh, was that for a sequel? Like, yes. <laughs> It was. It was better. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, um, right. <laughs> Number nine. Uh, it's a game you mentioned uh, in your uh, bottom half of this list. It's Pokemon Sun and Moon uh, from 2016 uh, on the 3DS. Um, yeah, it was as X and Y was the first step into 3D. Sun and Moon was the capitalization on everything they laid in that game and just, you know, taking it to the next level on basically every front from... Pokemon design, this is the first one where it felt like every Pokemon was designed with the region in mind. There's no real outliers there. Everything speaks to Hawaii or at least America. Um, story, good. I think Team Score helps it along as, you know, being quite stupid but being quite memorable and quite funny. Um, stake feel big, um, but not overly so like they did in like Black and White, for instance, or Diamond and Pearl. Um Fun characters, great Pokemon design. Um, the island challenge being a bit of a change from the gym leader stuff. I still prefer the gym leader structure, but this was a nice change, and I think it helps this game feel really fresh. Kind of in the same way that Black and White did some major changes, and it helps it stand out a little bit. Even if it was only a short-term thing, they were a nice addition. Um, yeah, Z-moves are not the step forward that I think Mega Evolution was, um, but still an enjoyable new wrinkle to the video um to the gameplay to put in there um lots of nice post game stuff to get on with um yeah just really the realization of what handheld pokemon games could be it felt like an ending for them and now we're seeing them as a home console franchise maybe going forward we don't know if the switch will now become the norm for all nintendo consoles so it'll be both their home and handheld console at the same time but so be it, I hope, because this was number six, Pokemon number eight should be equally as excellent as this one. Hopefully so. There's one thing I didn't say about uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon that I wish I'd said earlier, and I will say it now whilst we're on the topic. The music in that game is so, so good. So good. The, champ the champion's theme, it actually being your character's theme music, is yeah. just genius. It's just so good. I forgot to mention... The Crown Tundra's got some really nice music. Oh, yeah, the, it has. The uh, the main theme, the, like, chilled out one in Friesenton is real nice. I think Pokemon Sun and Moon, other than, like, Red and Blue, which obviously tickled my pickle in a certain way, I think Sun and Moon may have the best Pokemon music. The main battle theme is is hype. Oh, that's um that's Sword and Shield you're on about, isn't it? Sorry, Sword and Shield, yeah, not Sun and Moon. Yeah, the, the gym leader theme in that game's awesome. Wait, change. Ah, ah, yeah, yeah. Ah, sorry, carry on. <laughs> I just, I just, it's just the champions theme that because it, it felt like the evolution. We're going to talk about Pokemon a little bit here. Um, <laughs> the evolution of like the the red and blue 
themes all the way up to now and it and it was orchestral and it felt fucking amazing I'd, ah i, I kind of wish i put sword and moon higher now anyway we're not here to do that we're here to talk about number nine on my list and we're going back to a game that you had on the lower half of your list darren um, untitled goose game from mm. 2019 released on the nintendo switch xbox one playstation 4 pc and mac this is my favorite indie game of the generation i'll i'll say it here now there were multiple challenges to this there was undertale octodad carrion and this one came out on top this i I talked about carrion from this year and we'll talk about at the end of the year being the portal of this year untitled goose game is the portal of this generation that is a game i have already gone back to three times and played through start to finish it is so simplistic but so focused and fun and like you said it feels like a chaotic playground at times but it all feels right it has exactly the right amount of character it does feel incredibly quaint and british and silly and slapsticky and that singular like focused music track of just that jaunty piano music accompanying every little evil thing you do to the poor people of this village just works so so well i'm reminded of like laurel and hardy pictures when i play this game it is it's simplistic slapstick at its absolute best in in a generation where scale and bombast and spectacle has felt like not just the norm but an absolute necessity Untitled Goose Game goes so far the other way and makes trying to steal a hat off a farmer's head one of the most gratifying challenges of the generation. Mm -hmm. And on that basis alone, on being able to reduce gameplay down to the absolute bare bones and make it feel as polished as a AAA video game, it needs praise. It needs more praise than it gets, in my opinion. It's so fucking fun it's just just pure sugar it's (laughs) i I just want it in my fucking bloodstream it's such a great game and now there's a two-player mode fuck yes i i so hope they make another one of these games or at least a full expansion it's just it's just perfect pure sugar may be the best and most apt description of this video game i've ever heard because that's what it is it's just it's just pixie sticks it's just k-light it's just super serious you know what i mean you don't need everything to be over complicated to have a good time sometimes yeah you're right just stealing a man's shoes is more than <laughs> more than enough to get you off um lovely right uh at number eight now this is the first of three games in my top 10 that i have to acknowledge have better games on the ps3 but so is the quality <laughs> of these video games that are still brilliant in their own right this kicks off uh, with the first game I ever played on a PS4. Uh, this is from 2014 from Ubisoft. It's Far Cry 4. Um, okay. Which, which is some way a bit of a lesser Far Cry 3, which is the best Far Cry game. But that being said, this is still by itself a brilliant, brilliant game. Um, better than 5 and, and um, what's it called, New Dawn, just because it has that sense of fun that i think is slightly lacking in five and new dawn in that it's very silly it's got a very silly main villain um whose name i cannot remember um, i can pagan min of course it is it's pagan min um who's very camp and very over the top but it really works um it just it does all the things that far cry 3 does and adds you know great variety in the weapons a lot of fun ways to go about solving the same problem they're all just chaos it's just a fun game to be in and just spend time in because it's kind of got that 
like what people get out of just cause, of just random destruction, random violence. It's just brilliant. It's set up in a way, it's very Ubisoft. It may be the most Ubisoft game ever made in the climate terror, swing a thing. But the exploration is taken up from Far Cry uh, 3 because of the grappling hook sections. It's It felt like a next-gen version of Far Cry 3, even if I still prefer Far Cry 3 just a little bit. Do not let that take away from how brilliant this game is, though. It's still definitely in my top 10 on merit alone. Um, if you haven't already, go check it out. It might feel a little... Um, not outdated now. It's it's a simpler type of shooter. It's not trying to be anything more complicated than... Isn't it fun to blow stuff up? And yes, yes it is. <laughs> I think you're right. That that game still lives in Far Cry 3's shadows. Because, you know, Michael Mando, the once and future Scorpion, yeah. as Vass in that game, is, is like... I think if we were doing this list for the 7th gen, Far Cry 3 would make it into our top fives easily. Easy. Just, just, just on Vass alone. But what a thing, brilliant character! He's only there for half of the game. That's how goddamn good that character is. They leave such a lasting impression, despite the fact he's not the last bad guy in that game. He gets killed before the finale. Yep. Funny old world. Yeah. Uh, that was your number eight. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, it was. Cool. My number eight. Uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate released in 2018 for the Nintendo Switch. There is no point in owning any other Super Smash Brothers game now. Super Smash Brothers, as the title says, is the ultimate Smash Brothers experience. You have every single goddamn character that has ever appeared in a Smash Brothers game, past and present, in this game. Plus, now two uh, DLCs that are currently ongoing, uh, certainly the second one is anyway, that add more interesting, unique fighters to the equation. If there's one thing that this lacks, it is a full and true story mode. Now, you could say, but Mike, there's World of Light. World of Light is good. Do not get me wrong. But it is very much a compromise to the subspace emissary, which I will still say is the best story mode in a Smash Brothers game because it was a fucking story. Mm. Uh, what the what World of Light has is a series of tough, challenging battles across a sprawling map that just sadly ends up looking like one of those um, town playmats that kids have. And that that is a problem. Where there are no problems, though, is in the fighting, because this is the best, tightest, quickest Smash Brothers experience of the lot. You don't have the long and drawn out Ultimate Smashes of Brawl. They are now compact, cinematic and fun to engage with. You feel like the the fighting is more fair this time. There's none of that melee wave dashing where you had to have like a 200 percent IQ brain to understand Everything feels balanced, and that is to say it feels balanced with a roster of almost 80 playable characters, which is fucking phenomenal when, you know, other fighting games, Soul Calibur, Tekken, Street Fighter, doesn't feel balanced with far less characters, which is odd, very, very odd. Um, This actually brings to mind that this is a celebration of video games rather than is a celebration of the Smash Brothers series, as some of my favourite characters to play in this game are actually new characters. I really like playing as Terry Bogart. I really like playing as Cloud from Final Fantasy VII. I really like playing as Incineroar. That's how good this game is. I'm not here for the tentpole characters. I'm here for how good this combat feels, and good it does feel. Uh-oh. Oh, no, what? Uh... This reminded me of a game I forgot about. <laughs> not, not Smash Bros, admittedly, because I just didn't play enough in multiplayer to get the most out of that game. However, I did forget about Mario Kart 8. Uh, that was... Oh, yeah, that was released this generation. 
bald. Oh, oh no. <laughs> okay, so if you listen to the first episode, I know this would happen at some point. Uh, I'm going to retroactively put Mario Kart 8 at number 20 and push Safe Park out of the top 20. Um, <laughs> whoops-a-doodle. Um, Mario Kart 8's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> Mario Kart is a good game. I, I know, right? That's the thing, though, because it's so, like, just... It, it's Mario Kart. Of course it's good. You kind of forget about it, but I've had some good multiplayer times playing Mario Kart, so of course it should stand here on merit. So that's actually now my top 20. You can... Go back and pretend that's what I said at number 20. I can't believe I forgot about Mario Kart. Um, <laughs> Don't worry, we'll do a full um, 20 to 1 rundown when we get there. Yep, so, I'm just uh, we'll, we'll do that at the quick end. Pop that in and just say Mario Kart. There we go, so that's there for reference. Um, cool. Number 7. Uh, see, there's this thing, like, I, I feel like I'm having to justify my top 10 a lot more than I did my 20 through 11. Because here is The Last of Us 2. Uh, released this year by Naughty Dog for the PS4. And uh, if you listen to when I brought this up in the media of lockdown, uh, it's such a weird game. I have such a weird relationship with both Last of Us games that undeniably brilliant, well put together, engrossing, all-encompassing and all that jazz, but they, they just don't have the fun that would necessitate it going higher on the list, I think. They just, they, they fundamentally lack a little bit of joy. And I know that's kind of by design. They're meant to be gritty, very, very self-serious games. And I'd say there's not some funny points in this game, because there is. Um, but it's more of like, this is an acknowledgement more so than like, oh, I can't wait to play that game ever again. It's an acknowledgement of, this is like the peak of what that type of video game can be. As like a AAA super, you know, well-done, long-produced video game. This is pretty much the zenith. Characters, unbelievable. Story, unbelievable. Gameplay, a lot tighter than the first one. World setting, everything is brilliant. It just doesn't get... It's never going to be in the top five because you just don't have as much fun as you do on maybe lesser games that are slightly rough around the edges that just give you a bit more catharsis than this one does. Um, it still really impacts on you when you play it. It's got some brilliant story decisions that it makes, and I implore everyone who owns a PS4 to go out and get this one and get the remastered version of the first one. It is important more so than it is likeable, and that's why it only gets at number seven. I still had a great time playing it. It's just I don't really ever feel the need I need to play it again. It's like Logan. You go for it once because it is undeniably very well put together. It's just not your favourite. Okay, question. Um, part yeah. one or part two? Which one? Um, ooh, uh, e. I think part two. Just because it gets rid of some of the tedium. There's some bits in the first of us. Because... Um, Rachel played through The Last of Us Part 1 before I had Last of Us Part 2. So remembering all the bits where you've just... Like, the puzzles aren't as fun in the first game as they are in this one. Of, like, they grab the raft and, like, push it over to, to Ellie, and then Ellie gets on the raft and you push it back. That's kind of gone. It's a lot more... And there there is a part of this game that I feel like if they actually went whole hog with this in Part 3, uh, there is an open-world section... Um, it is bookended either side by much, much longer kind of um, uh, linear gameplay sections like the first game. But there is one open world section. It's really good. I hope they use that a lot more in part three. Um, but yeah, I'd say number two is better. Fair enough. Okay, cool. Um, 
That was your number seven, is that correct? That is right. I'm having a real hard job uh, keeping track of my numbers today. Uh, number seven, uh, Red Dead Redemption 2, released in 2018 for the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PC, and Stadia. That's um, good, because that's my number six, so we can have a four-minute discussion. Cool. Four-minute discussion on Red Dead Redemption 2, starting now. Um, this game is great, although it might be slightly too complex. I don't know how yes. you feel about that. A hundred percent. This is one of those games I was saying, like undeniably red dead redemption one i much prefer to this game uh, not just because you're hanging out with john marston one of the best video game characters ever because you are technically hanging out for most of this with john marston but yeah it's 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 too complicated for its own good there are it's it's like a one step for past what gta 5 was in that there's too many systems you've got to juggle in this for to truly be as fun as the first one but that's not to deny Red Dead Redemption to any of its incredible feats. Because no. at the end of the day, this is a full-on cowboy simulator. Yes. There, there's no other way to describe it. You need to manage every little thing. And this world feels so goddamn humongous and alive and real. As something as far as like permanent marks left in the mud when you ride your horse through town. It's... It's so incredibly nauseatingly detailed. It's it's brilliant. And the thing is, I don't even think that Arthur Morgan is a lesser protagonist. I think he's an equal protagonist. He's just a very different character. Mm. John Marston clearly has sins to atone for. Arthur Morgan is your lovable rogue. He's every bit as engaging with as um as John Marston and mm-hmm. ultimately has much the same trajectory. It's just that Arthur Morgan takes a lot longer to get to that point of redemption you are very much running with dutch's gang as dutch's right hand man for a majority of the game you're right i think story on was it's a lot more involved this time round, whereas the story could be quite sparsely spaced out in the first game i just think it's probably it has a very slow start it takes so long to really get into the meat of this game the second that... you get out of the snow yes the game has begun and you've already yeah, been playing it for five hours like, that's you know. the problem yeah it takes that point so long to get to that point um and i i think the ending we won't spoil it here but the ending i feel like after coming off how much of a gut punch the first game was of just a proper bar oh, maybe that has kind of taken the sheen off what they try and do with the ending of this one that it still feels tragic but it's just it's not as this thing, everything in this game that I can point to there's a lot of things obviously it's a lot better at. the graphics are amazing, the world is a lot more realised and I think if we went back and played Red Dead Redemption 1 now a lot of the improvements they do make would actually retroactively make that game a little lesser so, but there's so many things that first one does better such as just being more fun to play because you're not having to worry about oh is my horse fed, or am I hungry yada yada blah blah it's, it's, it's crippled by being, trying to do too much that it kind of robs it of what the first one had in its simplicity. Yeah, and simplicity is the word here, is that what Red Dead Redemption felt like to Grand Theft Auto 4, unfortunately Grand Theft Auto 5 feels like to Red Dead Redemption 2 this time around. Mm. They tried to make Grand Theft Auto 4 a bit more of an involved, heavier game, and it felt worse for it. Um, And Red Dead felt like them fixing those problems and making a better game, and that's what we remember Red Dead 1 for. Red Dead 2 is absolutely an evolution of Grand Theft Auto 5 but the problem is Grand Theft Auto 5 felt fun to bomb around in yeah Red Dead Redemption 2 
if I'm looking for full immersion, there is nothing better. It, nope. It's absolutely perfect for I want a full, realistic, incredibly detailed, not just technically, but visually experience. I will always go for Red Dead Redemption 2. But as our lists have shown, we prioritize fun and the moment to moment gameplay, which is why it can't be in the top five. No, it cannot. That is a very nice four minutes. It was a very nice four minutes. And we're back with you for your number six. Uh, that was my number six, so we're back with you for your number six. Oh, shit. Okay, cool. Uh, my number six uh, from 2015, it is Bloodborne, the PlayStation 4 exclusive from, from Software, and uh, where we the second half of where we get the Soulsborne series moniker from, although it was the Soul series before that, and now Sekiro makes it a bit of a weird... Anyway, it's from, from Software. You know what this game is. Where Bloodborne shines against other games in this genre is its setting we have not seen a game that has really encapsulated eldritch lovecraftian horror alongside that kind of dirty victorian look better than we have in bloodborne um and where it also kind of fixes problems that exist in the dark souls games less so in dark souls 3 and sekiro is um kind of putting you at the forefront of the combat the problem I had with Dark Souls that I later came round to, thanks to Bloodborne, was the slow, methodical pace in which you had to play that game if you wanted to get any further forward than a couple of paces from the spawn. It, the Bloodborne kind of incentivizes you to take part in the combat and not just sit at the back with a shield and pop off with arrows. It encourages you to get up close and personal because it has that risk reward mechanic of, yes, if you get hit, you lose health. But if you're quick enough, if you can deal return damage, if you can parry attacks, you're going to get your health back. You're going to be exactly where you were, but with less enemies in the field. That's that in itself. That little microcosm of gameplay is enough to drive this game all the way into the number six position. However, it's here because of other reasons atmosphere incredibly thick much like pt i mentioned last episode you feel the sense of dread you feel the sense of horror and hopelessness and it fits the narrative so unbelievably well the variety of weapons especially with the dlc with the old hunters is great there is some brilliant unique weaponry whether you're using the saw cleaver um the <laughs> aptly named pizza cutter by the um the fandom which is called the whirligig saw in the game or like me you only want to use either an axe or Ludwig's greatsword because they are the best weapons. You've got a variety of ways to approach these incredibly challenging boss battles. You know what a Souls game is, but this is the apex of a Souls game. Wonderbar. Uh, another game on your top 20 that I tried and it just did not compute. I I wish it did so I could uh, join it in these discussions because a lot of other people I like and respect like this game, but it just didn't. Indeed, for me. That's fair. Uh, I mean, in the very same vein, I'm looking forward to playing Demon Souls this uh, Christmas. Oh, yeah, this episode's being released on the week of release of the PlayStation 5. So who knows? I might be playing Demon Souls as you're listening to this right now. Good point. Right, we're putting the timers down now because we have got to the all-important top fives. So we have... I suspect number one may be the same, but uh, we've got a bit of variety to get off there. So at number five... The last in the run of the PS3 version was better. Uh, we have Batman Arkham Knight. Now, this and Red Dead Redemption 2, the PS3 equivalents being that and Batman Arkham City, are two games in my top 10 video games of all time. 
So yeah. there was a lot at stake for these two games in terms of trying to live up to that hype. And the, there, uh, Arkham Knight has one, one Achilles heel, and that is the Batmobile combat sections. That is literally the only thing that this game has going against it over uh, Arkham Knight. Uh, sorry, over Arkham City. And that's the thing. I think everyone like always goes, oh, it's the lesser of the three. I think I prefer this to Asylum, just because I think the, the combat and the uh, traversal is a lot better in this game than it is in this. And when you were just bombing around in the normal Batmobile, it's ace. It's just whenever you have to turn it into a goddamn tank that the problems start. Yeah, that tank sucks. It's just, there's no other way of putting it. It's just, and this sheer volume of tank battles they put in this game. I know yeah. that they were trying to make it feel like the resolution of the series, like war in Gotham, but it doesn't fucking work. It's no. not fun. I will say, I think you're right in that City is the best of the three. Mm-hmm. I think we talk about simplicity a lot, and I think Arkham Asylum has the edge in simplicity so i yep. would i wouldn't classify this as the worst in the series because you've still got arkham origins over there in a corner which is fine outside of the deathstroke battle which is great whereas yep. this is it's great apart from the combat the tank combat sections which are shite so it's got an edge it's not the worst in the series it's good i i i feel like i remember the the random encounters more in mm. all of these Arkham games more than I remember the story. Especially this time around when fucking Man Bat just happened when I was scaling up a building. See, that bit is... I, see, I didn't get... Somehow I didn't trigger the one where he just peeks over the edge of a building in your face. I just heard him. It was like... It, it, like another game that I'm going to have to talk about in a bit. But, like, yeah, just seeing something flying over there and going, what the fuck is that? And then flying towards it and finding out, oh fuck, it's Manbat. That's this and Ark. This is what it has in common with Arkham City. That's so good is that it feels like you are in a world that is carrying on no matter what Batman does. The atmosphere of these games, I think, of its strongest pull by far because it genuinely feels like any given night on Gotham. There are 20 different things happening across the city that have nothing to do with each other. You know, what the Riddler's do- doing, what um, what Mr. Freeze is doing in the DLC, what, you know, everyone else is so separated from each other that it feels like that makes you want to explore that much more. You know, you don't get that... Yeah, There's only one other game that's done that as well, and we're going to talk about that later. So, if you get past that Achilles heel, which makes me a little bit sad because the rumours were that... Um, WB Montreal, who did Arkham Origins, were going to do a sequel to that game um, set prior to Arkham Asylum that would have the Batmobile in it, but not the tank version. You would just have the driving around version. Mm. They seem to have pivoted. Gotham Knights doesn't appear to be that. You're playing as basically everyone other than Batman in that game. So, and that's not set in the Arkham uh, world in the in the Arkham uh, continuity. It seems to be separate from that. So. It didn't look like we were going to get that game, which is a real shame, because I felt like that could have been something very special. But you ignore that one Achilles heel, and everything you liked about Arkham City is here. You know, the character work, the storyline, the the all-encompassing nature of the storyline, the the surprises, the the reimagining of some of Batman's characters. There's so much to love about this game. And when it works, when you're dumped into a room full of, like, 50 people... 
and you don't feel disadvantaged. You smile because you're like, this is going to be fun. And you're just pelting them with everything and doing perfect combos. Still nothing, uh, very, very few things make me happier than pulling off a perfect 100-hit combo without getting hurt or anything. It's just, uh, mechanically, there is one thing that drags this game down. <laughs> I think that is the that is the thing that gets it maligned, is it does have that one fatal flaw. But if you can get past that, it's still just as excellent as its predecessor. And I, I love it so much. It was at number six, but then I looked at it and went, look, You've definitely had more fun playing Arkham Knight. I have not replayed Ark as Red Dead Redemption 2 at all. I haven't gone back to it since I finished uh, the kind of post-game of that. I have played Arkham Knight at least three times through to completion. At least three Fucking times. Fucking hell. Yeah. And I could only say that about... The only other game I can think of I've gone back to that often is like Pokemon games, but also Arkham City. So I can easily say that in the same breath because I did have that... You know, maybe not... I was going through a point where I played Arkham City full at least once per year in the years after it came out. It's not that frequent, but at least every year and a half to two, two years, I get the itch to go back and play Arkham Knight. So that's all I really need to say about how much I like that game. Yeah, that that's pretty fair. It, it's it's a great game. It's a it is a great game. Like you say, it's not City, and I think that's 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 the be all and end all of the of the, um, the criticism of that game. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, oh man, I can see it was so good, so I, good. I love that game. That's so yeah. good. Um, it is, however, no longer my favourite uh, superhero game. More on that later. Mm. Mm. Uh, my number five pick. I don't think you'll be able to kind of contribute as much to this, but we'll see. Uh, Titanfall 2, released in 2016 for the PlayStation 4, the Xbox One, and PC. This is the best shooter of the generation. Let's not, let's not, you know make any any other situations because consider any other title your cods your battlefields your battlefronts if you're that way inclined none of that matters because titanfall 2 is the shooter of the generation mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know if you've actually played this one darren i have but it had the same like impact on me that doom 2016 had of like i enjoyed my time with this game but then it just passed on you know i didn't dwell on it i didn't feel the need to go back and play it i i liked everything it was doing and it made me more excited for what respawn are doing next as opposed to titanfall 3 for example so yeah i i get it but it was never going to trouble the top 20 i don't think that's fair enough but did you play the story mode of titanfall 2 uh, i did yes and that's something that's becoming a dying trend in shooters as it is now i mean mm. Call of Duty have finally gone back on themselves and put one in for Call of Duty Cold War, which is out this year. Well, sorry, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War, because we can't have any more signifiers in front of a goddamn title. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is at the time when other shooters didn't want to do this. Titanfall came out with one of the strongest single player campaigns in a shooter of modern history, really. Uh, I can really only think back to Call of Duty 4 when it felt that important the fact is is that people that make shooters don't want to make engaging single player story modes anymore and Titanfall completely put that on its head it made you feel for the your titan the character of bt um is just so good and you feel a genuine connection with the machine like that's that's seemingly impossible outside of maybe you know the cubes in or turrets in portal I don't feel like we've had that for a long while, and yet for some reason I felt genuine attachment 
to the character of BT and Jack, the guy you play as, was very much an avatar for my experience of that world. Where it cemented itself as Shooter of the Year, though, as you would expect, is in the competitive, is in the multiplayer, where genuinely I got very invested in that. I tend not to get invested in multiplayer shooters, although you wouldn't know that looking at my top 20 where I've put Destiny and Apex Legends on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that they speak more to... I mean, Destiny was very much a social experience, um, and I didn't really play much of the PvP in Destiny. It was more of the PvE multiplayer. And Apex Legends I, I liked because, I mean, the Battle Royale is PvP, but it is team-based. Um, I played... Titanfall 2 a lot I mean a lot a lot and got quite good at it not I won a couple of matches but not many but as somebody who kind of sets up for teams to win I became a really good player of that there's some really good like engaging mechanics in that game my favorite is rodeoing the titans which is when somebody's called a titan in you can sort of because you've got that kind of like parkour jetpack style movement to the game which is just sublime it's the Mm -hmm. best kind of movement you want in a competitive shooter you want it to feel fluid and free and fast um but you're able to kind of scale buildings jump off them onto the back of a titan steal its battery from the back of it which puts them as a a significant disadvantage and then run off call your own titan in plug that in and have more power and my absolute favorite play that we've ever done um i was i was playing with a good friend of the show luke we played a lot of titanfall 2 together um you get moments like genuine teamwork where you're trying to goad an enemy titan into a small corridor where you can call your own titan on top of it and get an instant kill me and him work together baiting other players into these corridors and then saying right i can call a titan in can you like steal a battery can you attack the front can you get its attention draw it into this part of the map and i'm going to call down on it and we were able to work together so well on that that's what i remember from this game is is moments like those it's moments like i'm having fun mechanically i'm having fun because of the my direct control and experience and getting good at the game and i'm having fun because it's so substantially different to any other shooter the titan experience and the pilot experience are totally separate mechanics although they control very very similarly and have different effects in those matches and it and it works it should feel like smashing two things together that don't work but it works so goddamn well i'm gonna stop there because i feel like i've spoken enough about titanfall 2 now (laughs) I see. This is why I think I need to get on Apex Legend because I do remember the the combat engine being just so smooth mm. that it would make sense. Now again, I just know online shooters. Unless I get in on the first week, I ain't gonna be very good. So that always tends to curtail my fun of them. But it might be fun just to prattle around with the wall running and the sliding and all that. Just um, you teased it a second ago. So I think you may have this higher than me, but at number four. Uh, from 2018 from Insomniac, it's Spider-Man. Yep, this is definitely going to be higher. Um, I'm not going to comment because we're going to talk about this later on. (laughs) Lovely. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of the best superhero video games ever made. It's the best one of of this generation, at the very least. Um, 
it's something again that I think it's actually the replay value that has pushed this up the the list. When I first played it, I remember coming out of it going, "Yeah, that was good. I enjoyed it." But it didn't really have that special source I was looking for. But then a year later, I was like, "I think I want to play it again." So I did. All the DLC had come out by this point, so I went back and and played through all of that. The DLC helps. I don't think it's as necessary to you know the full game as something like Jurassic World Evolution's DLC was. But it still adds a lot more to that game. And it's just fun to hang out with those characters. The The swinging mechanics work ex- exactly how you want them to do. Everything it needed to nail, it nailed. I think the only thing it lacks is atmosphere, like the Batman games have. They're literally the only thing I can differentiate these two between. Because the combat and its implementation of gadgets is just as good. Traversal is, if anything, better. Um... It, the, the world feels more alive just because there are pedestrians and cars going around. I, I, it doesn't have the depth, I think, that the Batman games do in that the side quests don't feel as important. Like, whenever you're doing side quests in those games, like notable villains are behind them. Here it's just a gang or like uh, the Sable Corp um, are behind something. You're just beating up randomers. And it's very rare that any of the side characters are involved. Any sorry, any major villains are involved in the side um, quest, other than like Tombstone, for example. So I feel like again, a sequel, which is very much building up to, stripping out some of those ancillary side quests that do just feel like busy work and giving them more character and more story as a side mission, involving more villains. Because I mean, Batman and Spider-Man have equally as depthy like villain rosters that you can go into you can drag up c and d tier people just to pop up to be smaller distractions from the main story i think it's good um it builds very nicely to a very emotional climax um it leaves the situation you know it leaves the series in a very interesting situation that sets it apart from other spider-man just in terms of its status quo is quite changed up in this so yeah all geared towards a better sequel but unlike some of the ones on this list it's not like this is some like a half step or anything. This is still a brilliant game, and it guts me a little bit that I'm not gonna, through my own you know reasoning, I'm not gonna get to play you know Spider-Man 1.5 Miles Morales as soon as possible because yes, it's just fun. It's it's always going to be fun to swing through the streets, Spider-Man, and, and beat up some randomers. You're absolutely right. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, uh, a little bit more depth, a little bit later on. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go straight to my number four now. Um, now, this is one that is going to be another situation where I don't feel like you're going to be able to comment because my number four is Persona 5, released in 2017 exclusively for the PlayStation 4. And the second of three uh, PlayStation exclusives to be in the top six. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you've never touched this, Darren. What is it, sorry? Persona 5. No, I have not. Didn't think so. Uh, this because it's very much not your game. It's it's a no. cartoonish anime style RPG uh, with capturing mechanics similar to Pokemon, but not exactly the same. Uh, with team building stuff, with an incredibly long story. I'm talking. It took me 130 hours to finish the game, not complete. Jesus. Finish the game. It's long. It is a uh, part dungeon crawling RPG and part social sim. Uh, by day, you are a student, uh, of which you name the character, although I believe it's in the actual lore of the game. The guy's called Ren Amamiya, I think. I don't know. Anyway, um, Amamiya, here he goes again. Uh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. 
Um, <laughs> and so by day you are a, a student. Your your job is to go to school and perform well in your studies and make friends and make sure you hang out with people and maybe join a couple of clubs. And hey, you're a normal kid. By night you go into a nightmarish world called the um, uh, mementos, uh, where you are literally entering the cognitions of some of the most evil people in Japan and hoping to steal their hearts and change their bad intentions into good intentions by literally defeating literal demons inside their psyches it's a very visually striking game and one that has kind of taken the color theory of the persona franchise and really run with it persona 4 and persona 3 had very distinct stories visual styles and gameplay that are similar to this but actually they encompass weirdly the primary colors um persona 3 was a predominantly blue game and had quite a lot of um depressing undertones the way in which you activate your personas which are your like your um your monsters your abilities in persona 3 was you put a fake handgun to your head and pull the trigger which is you know that tells you the tone of that game persona 4 was a little bit more weird and a little bit more light-hearted in its mostly yellow um color palette it explored more about intrigue and mystery and you know whenever you were going into dungeons there you were going through a world in the tv but ultimately you were trying to stop a serial killer so it was more mystery than more than anything else persona 5 it's mostly red and you'd think that means oh it's going to be a horrific story about blood cuts and gore no it, it kind of runs with red as kind of like the 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 color of rebellion and the color of battle um the, much of the story is here is that there are terrible people and you are literally becoming a phantom thief that breaks into their own minds and steals the thing that makes them disgusting and vile and evil for the first dungeon you're going into you're actually trying to change the heart of your gym teacher who has you know is incredibly abusive towards his students it, it starts out small like that but then you know 120 hours later you're literally shooting god in the face so it's got an incredibly steep ramp um in terms of its uh in terms of its story but it feels like a rush to play and the dungeons are laid out thankfully they're not procedural in the previous two games it was procedurally generated dungeons it was easy to get lost it lacked character and this is prob all problems that uh, persona 5 fixes with its fixed dungeon mapping way better theming when it comes from dungeon to dungeon whether that is the uh, the castle theme from dungeon one the casino theme from dungeon seven and they're all really big and they're all really long and they're all really challenging as well unlike my playthrough where i found a uh, a way to cheat the game and get a bunch of experience so that i was incredibly over leveled for the final fight but other than that it's uh, it's it's really good genuinely there is a there is a glitch in that game uh well not even a glitch it's it is a feature it's just an exploit where you can go to one of the lowest levels of the mementos dungeons uh literally have the grim reaper chasing you about get him to catch a cold and then he dies um, right and that's that's how you get a shit ton of experience and get over leveled for the final fight which is fun. Um, but no, it's it's so good. I, I think anybody who loves anime has already played this game because it is a very visually striking RPG. 
If you're looking for a wealth of content, you'll be playing Persona 5 for weeks and weeks and weeks. There is a lot to do. Um, it almost requires multiple playthroughs as well. I, I played a full 130 hours of that game, and I still didn't get all of my friendships up to maximum level. There were Just because of the time constraints of the game and the way that it handles the flow of time and you having to get certain jobs done in order to get to the end of the game, I still haven't seen everything that game has to offer. And now there's even more for that game to offer. Now that it's been re-released as Persona 5 Royal, which is a redo of the game, which introduces even more characters, both playable and confidant, which is the friendship system. Fact is, if you want a big JRPG, this is what you reach for. Even in a generation where we've had a, an actually good Final Fantasy game for once, even in a game generation where we've had... Um, ones from other parties whether that's like an atelier riser situation or even efforts from nintendo like octopath traveler nothing comes close to the sheer consistent quality of persona 5 and for that i will always remember it i know you won't take this personally but i cannot think of a game that says less suited to me yeah no no this is why my I would, god i would never uh i would never recommend this game to you <laughs> that sounds awful <laughs> I can't think. Like that is setting off all the alarms in my head. Again, please do not take this personally. I understand it is just not meant for me, and and that's that's fine. That's fine. But oh god! <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> mo- uh, moving on. The next one might be even worse, but we'll see. Oh Jesus. Okay. Uh, right. At number three. One of the weirdest, like, timings of a game ever. This is probably going to give away a lot, but if you've listened to literally any podcast about video games we've done in the last three years, you'll know what number one is. This two, the two of my top three games of this generation came out on the same fucking day. <laughs> At number three from Guerrilla Games 2017 PS4 exclusive, which means three of my top five are PS4 exclusives. It's Horizon Zero Dawn. The worst timed video game in history. This speaks to its quality, though, that it came out on the same day as another game we're going to talk about in a minute. Yeah. uh, And is still rememberable. Yeah, right? That's the thing. Like, it's it's almost like when EA put Titanfall 2 out on the same day as, like, whatever Battlefront game it was. Like, why on earth? I know why Sony did it. It's because they wanted to be like, look, it's came to programming. It's why NXT and AEW go up on the same time on a Wednesday night. It's so that anybody who's playing Horizon Zero Dawn isn't playing the other game that was released on that day on the Switch. You know, you just as long as you can take some time off, or at the very least, at least this shit's all over Microsoft if you and Nintendo put out games on the same day. That's true. Um, <laughs> yeah, so whilst it is the lesser of the two games that came out on that day, it's still the bronze medal game of this generation because... Nothing else has the same level, at least as it speaks to me, of like depth in its combat choices, of just ways to go around solving puzzles. The setting of the game is fantastic. The idea that now we're cavemen and technology is, you know, the dominant force on the planet, that we've had to revert back to basically tribalism. The visual style of the game, from both the look of Aloy and all of, you know, the the human settlements all the way to the designs of the robot are fantastic. It feels like a complete working ecosystem 
and, and that is so hard to do to fully realize in a video game to feel like a world that you'd always want to explore more i don't know how bad sequels have to get where you would take the sheen off exploring you know this type of world because you just have so many possibilities of new robots you can throw in new types of tribes that are you know grown up in the isolation that they live in brilliant the storyline is fantastic it keeps you going all the way through in terms of you know surprises and switches and trying to figure out the bigger mystery of what happened beforehand because it's still set on earth this is not like a, an elseworlds thing this is still our earth just thousands and millions of years in the future how did we get here why did we get here why is aloy so special why is she the chosen one etc brilliant but it's in the combat that this game really really fucking excels um, it is actually the next game I intend to replay once I've got through the kind of glut of Christmas. I am definitely reinstalling this before uh, Forbidden West arrive. Because it just gives you so many gadgets that are all completely different from each other. But are just finely tuned for each situation. So if you find something small, you don't really need anything other than your kind of your crossbow and your big and your big stick. But if you're fighting the big T-Rexes... That is where you can have five different weapons on the go that all have vital components in the setup of all the tripwires, the bombs, shooting at the right points to get this bit to fall off. So you've got to like tactically think, right, I've got to take the big gun off of it so that it can't hit me with that because that basically kills me in one go. Then I can start to slow it down with this type of thing so I can take off this part of it and just, oh, it's so fucking well made as a tactical shooter of how am I going to take on this problem? And that changed because there's so many big monsters that all have completely different ways of playing that you need new ways to figure them out. It very rarely frustrates in its difficulty. There's usually just, okay, I, I made the mistake there. It wasn't because the game was being you know, overly cruel or it's a difficulty spike or anything like that. It's just, I need to be smarter about how I go about these. I need to prepare better. It's brilliant. It's undeniably brilliant. It's it's the best new franchise i think that was introduced in this uh generation and it's one that i cannot wait for the sequel cannot wait for that because just from the one teaser trailer we got it's gonna look brilliant in full 4k on the ps5 churning that stuff out it's gonna look the first game still looked fantastic this is gonna look that much better and with all the new things they're introducing the new wide range of robots they're going to be introducing i cannot fucking wait for this game of all the ones we know are coming if i could only play one it would definitely be horizon uh forbidden west i'm playing first on the playstation 5 yeah that makes a lot of sense it's um it's a game that's really driven by character as well like i, yeah. I really enjoy that that's actually actually a really good story as on top of quite in-depth combat quite a big world you'll notice darren it's not on my list um, yeah, that's a bit surprising. It, I liked it a lot, but it's it, it just there's something about it, and I think I think it was when I played it that that means it just it just didn't become that memorable. Don't get me wrong, I think it's a brilliant game. I like it a lot, but as we've seen from this list, I've either picked games that have completely enamoured me or have been social experiences really that have been moments in my history in gaming history, so on and so forth. Because of when Horizon came out, that's already a mark against it. Not because of the quality of the game, but it just it just could not compete with the other game that came out that day. Mm-hmm. And then as time moves on, you get further away from the release. And don't be wrong, the the what was what's the expansion? Frozen Winter, Frozen Winds, something like that. Um, yeah, f- Frozen 
Is it Frozen mm-hmm. Wastes? Is that what it is? It's something like that. Frozen North or... Yeah. So Crane that... Tundra or something like that. <laughs> the Crane Tundra of, uh, of Horizon. It's really good and it adds... It adds... It fixes one of the problems that I thought it had, which was the variety in terrain by adding the... The, the snow areas to it which is pretty cool that's something that the base game just didn't have it was basically mm-hmm. either plains jungle or desert and don't get me wrong that's already pretty impressive um yeah but it did take it was one of those games that had to be fixed by its dlc um at least in my opinion like in, in much the same way that you tried bloodborne yes yeah, saw it was good but it wasn't for you i tried horizon i didn't finish horizon i thought it was good but i didn't I haven't seen the ending in my own gameplay. I have since watched and read about the ending in preparation for Horizon 2 because I genuinely think that's going to fix all of the problems I had with Horizon 1, Um, especially the pacing. I feel like what I liked about Horizon 1 and the moments I'll remember is, you know, the giant giraffe fuckers? Hey, you've got to, like, figure a way on top of them. I love that. But then when it was just going from one point to the other... When it becomes a game about traveling, it becomes so forgettable. And again, you put it against the other game that came out on that day where traveling was the story. I can't can't say it competes, but I do think it's a phenomenal game. That is the thing. It just came out on the same day as its most direct competition in terms of what it was trying to achieve and the other one just achieves it that much more thankfully they're adding the one thing that really really the only irritant i had in that first game and again it's only in comparison to the other game we're gonna have to mention by the looks of the trailer they are adding climbing thank god they are adding climbing (laughs) because it was weird again it's only because of playing the other game that you realize that it's lacking if you hadn't have played that other game. I promise we'll talk about it soon so we can just say it by name. If you hadn't played that game, you wouldn't even know that you were missing climbing. But once you have seen it, you're like, oh god, I wish it was here. And they're adding it. So, great. We're adding the one thing it really lacked. So, I'm so hyped for that sequel. So hyped. Yeah, it's going to be good. I, I think that we've... we've Gorilla have really shown that they aren't just the kill zone people. Mm-hmm. That they have absolutely the the vision and intent in that studio to make proper quality games and i I can't wait to see what forbidden west is like and whatever game that they choose to close this generation on i can't wait to see what that is that's uh that's gonna be real good uh let's move on to my number three and another game i'm fairly certain that darren has either a never played or b thinks is a terrible choice and why the fuck is it here we have stardew valley released in 2016 for ps4 xbox one nintendo switch playstation vita pc mac linux ios and android oh god that's a lot of platforms i think the only platform it's not on are handhelds and stadia apart from that you can play this game on pretty much anything which should speak to its simplicity its simplicity yet depth this is a very very big game and is incredibly addictive um, if you haven't played it before, Stardew Valley is a it's a farming simulator, but not in the way that you expect. You're uh, tasked with uh, bringing your I think it's your grandfather or your uncle's farm kind of back from the brink. He unfortunately passes away at the start of the game. You move into Stardew Valley and you take on his farm. And to begin with, it's 
there's not a lot to do and you feel like you're mostly chopping at trees breaking rocks and clearing land so that you can lay out your fields but then you keep playing and because of the very short cycle of days in the game each day only lasting around five minutes or so you've quickly blitzed through the autumn season and you're into winter and certain crops won't grow and you have to change things up but by that time you've already thought about the layout of your farm you've already thought about restoring the community center to bring yourself um, more upgrades to the town to make more shit available you've already decided on taking on a dog or a horse to live on your farm a horse can get you from point a to point b so much quicker if you need to process geodes or go and buy seeds or sell your items to get more money and ultimately that's that's the goal is to get enough money to get the things that you need but you're going through town and there's all these wonderful characters that you can get to know quite well in fact there's a number of people in the game that you can befriend you can marry and the game doesn't discriminate against any um any sexual orientations if you're playing as a boy or a girl you can marry a boy or a girl uh, which is which is real good thanks for putting that in because nintendo won't um <laughs> it's genuinely a very charming and visually pleasing game it has a really nice very clean 16-bit art style um but it does have immense amounts of character and animation and it just looks so good the reason i've put it this high is not because i got so addicted to it i played 90 fucking hours of this game it's because i handed it to my wife who got so addicted to it she has played 230 hours of this game jesus christ i know and and she's done stuff in this game i only dreamed of accomplishing the certain things you can do in the game so that the game does have dungeons uh, that you can go into and the job the, the trick is to try and get as to the bottom of the dungeons in the first dungeon there are 100 levels and you've got to get and every 10 so levels you get down you get like a new item or a sword or a pickaxe or an ability or something like that um she's got to the bottom of that 100 level dungeon as did i um and then she also got down to the bottom of the other 100 level dungeon which is 10 times fucking harder because it's harder to find the stairs to get down the enemies are so much harder she got to the very bottom and she got this item that allows you to immediately warp back home which is so goddamn useful because you wake up at six o'clock in-game time and if you can keep going up until 2 a.m in-game time and then your character falls asleep wherever the fuck they are and if you fall asleep in the town in the dungeons anything like that you will be brought back to your home but you will have lost quite a lot of shit so you need to get home um and there and then there's options beyond that you can use the crops to cook dishes and you can expand a library of um of foods that you can create which give you certain buffs and health increases and damage increases and all these wonderful things social increases as well uh, you can make and buy items that you can gift to other characters in the game which increases your um your friendship level with them which means you can see specific cutscenes about their lives their backstory like i said there's i think there's 10 available people that you can also marry and have kids within the game you turn the farm into your home and it doesn't sound engaging when i lay it out like that but just give the game a chance and it completely envelops you in that there's just something that really scratches an itch about that cycle of get up water the crops go to the town buy the thing speak to the people give a gift go to the mine get that oh fuck okay that day's finished i didn't 
get a chance to go to the mine. I'll go tomorrow. Okay, get up, water the crops, do the thing. And I'm making it sound so mundane, but it is so engaging and so full of character and so fun. I have played this on three separate consoles and loved it every time. That first 90 hours I was talking about, that's only my PlayStation 4 save. I've also played it on the Switch and on my phone on Android. Um, and it, it works so well across all three of those platforms. It works even better as a handheld game, if I might say, especially on the Switch. That's the way to play it. Um, yeah, I don't think this is going to appeal to you, Darren. I really don't. But <laughs> but I I highly suggest you try it first. You are a fan of the Builder games, and this is very mm-hmm. much in that ilk. It's just less management and more direct input. I can live with that. Um, yeah, I... This has always been one that I'm like, I think I'd like to play that next, next. You know what I mean? It's never the one that I'm like, I need to play that now. It's like, oh, when I finish this game, I'll probably look at Star Dew Valley eventually. Mm. But then another game inevitably comes or whatever. So I will endeavour. Again, I'm going to have a gulf of time uh, after all this Christmas Christmas has gone until I get a PS5. So I can fill it with a fair few things. I think Star Dew Valley is now at the top of that list. It's it's real good, and I do I do think Rachel will like it as well. I think mm. she's going to fall very much into the little crevice that my wife did, uh, and just get completely addicted to the cycle of that game. It uh, it's really hard to describe in words without showing how it feels to move around in that game and how how ridiculously engrossing just going along watering crops or picking trees is it's just so strange it's so strange the fishing can fuck off though that's the worst thing about that game oh that's the last thing everybody i've spoken to has played that game that's the last thing they leveled up because it's just so shit but everything else is so good isn't it made by just like one dude (coughs) yeah one dude made this in five years and continues to support and update the game right up to today jesus that is yeah Seriously, this game has more systems than most AAA video games, and one dude made it. That is, I mean, it's not like he's having to, uh, you know, you know, redo the graphics every time. That's true. But but still, very impressive for a one-man army. Uh, speaking of one-man army, at number two, uh, <laughs> it is, of course, from Sony Santa Monica 2018. How this wasn't on your list, I'll never know. It's God of War, because of course it's God of War. It's God of War, but <laughs> much in the same way that, like... So when they did Assassin's Creed Origins, as I spoke about in the first um, part of this two-parter, it was a soft reboot of the franchise. They they moved it from a stealth game into an, an RPG. They did that with this, but it was more of, like, the overall game. It wasn't just a combat change they made. They made a, a, a distinctive change to a lot of things, from the way they tell their story to the characterizations on play to just taking it a lot more seriously because God of War 3 another game in my top 10 favorite games of all time is not doesn't take itself very seriously it is a very dumb on the surface game it's not dealing with any emotions other than anger um and that's all it needs i still think we <laughs> came as high as second and i'm saying there's better games out there but I still think I prefer God of War 3 because I just think that the mad arcade combat is more fun. Where this game differentiates itself, though, the storyline is so much more layered and involved than anything we saw in the first, what, like five or six God of War games there are that precede this. Yep. It 
is a franchise, unlike Assassin's Creed, that I think, because it's not everyone's favourite series, could have carried on bashing out the same, you know, basic gameplay loop over and over again, just changing the setting, and that being where you get most of your fun from, from meeting new characters, you know, being slightly more modern, so you can have slightly more modern weapons, and then build all the way up to the modern day. This was a franchise that needed that reboot, because God of War... um, What's it called? Red God of War Retribution? Oh, that, that one after three? Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, Whatever that one is. I'll look it up. Um, thank you. Um, so, so good, I can't even remember what the goddamn thing is called. That was like, okay, if this game works, this franchise is evergreen and we're fine. And it didn't. Even though it's working off the same gameplay loop that God of War 3 did, we've... It just—it was a lesser game in every single way. The story, you didn't care about. It's a prequel, so you know nothing bad's going to happen to Kratos, or at least nothing that he can't come back from. It added nothing, and I think everyone was like, okay, God of War had its time. It'd be like a Crash Bandicoot-type situation. It's very much locked on the consoles it was, and it doesn't need to rear its head again unless we do remasters in like 10 or 15 years' time. Even Santa Monica Studios were ready to move on. After, um, what is it, God of War Retribution? It's God of War Ascension. Ascension, that's the one. I knew it was named after a shitty wrestling faction, but I couldn't (laughs) remember which one. Um, Of course it was the Ascension. Um, So, they were ready to move on. I've seen, like, the the full-on two-hour documentary about this game. of Like, everyone was like, okay, we're probably... They found themselves in a similar situation that Guerrilla Games did. Of Like, okay, everyone knows this one franchise... I think it's time to move on, but they just something kept pulling them back to this game. Of like they they had failed concepts, they they the games that they were trying to get done and just didn't get past it. So they went like okay, everyone still likes Kratos, everyone still likes those games. It's not a dead franchise; it just needs something new. So they changed everything. They changed the camera location. They changed the combat engine. They changed a, a, a you know a much more nuanced and in depth story where Kratos isn't just anger. He's kind of, like, done with everything. He's so over the world and everything he's done before. He's trying... A man trying to escape his past and, you know, find the quiet life. He's like Rambo in all the later Rambo movies. Like, he's done. He's done his part. He's had his adventures. He wants to be left the fuck alone. But, of course, being who he is, that isn't going to happen because everyone's out to get Kratos. They've moved it from ancient Greece to Norse mythology and... Every single one of those decisions was the right one to do. And that's why this game feels so special and as high as it is. They took so many risks that they didn't need to. They could have left God of War alone and just done other things or waited so long that people get nostalgic for it and then done God of War 4 in the same vein as 3 and all the other ones. They didn't. They took chances and every single one of them works. Not saying for the better, but it's, it's its new start of a trilogy. They are not separate from the old games because the the storyline continues. It's the same Kratos. He's done all the stuff you've done before. But it feels like a new trilogy, completely separate from what came before because you're not just bashing square to get everything killed. You've got to think slightly more tactically in these games. It adds, for the first time since God of War Ghost of Sparta, it adds a new weapon that you actually give a shit about in the Leviathan Axe. You aren't just... I mean, you do get the Blades of Chaos, because of course you do feel wrong if you didn't get them at some point. But 
they are equal to the Leviathan Axe. They have slightly different gameplay chances. Um, you use the Blades of Chaos when you're overwhelmed by groups of enemies. You use the Leviathan Axe for largely one-on-one combat stuff. But the world it lives in, beautifully realised, using Norse mythology for everything it can, whilst holding back. These are the people that don't appear in this game. Thor, Odin, um, the Asgard Serpent pops up, but it's quite light. Basically, anyone you've seen in a Thor movie doesn't really pop up. It's it's using Balder as its main antagonist. So they've left themselves a lot of room to grow um, as this franchise goes on. Um, Thor cameos in like a dream sequence at the end, and that's about it. But it's heavily implied he's going to be your main bad guy in the second one. But yeah, it's I, I could spend hours... Hours and hours and hours talking about how much I love this game and everything that it does right. The visual storytelling is fantastic. The uh, upgrading system is pretty well tiered and well paced as well. So that by the end of the game you feel pretty good right up until you have to fight the Valkyries and then you feel like a little five-year-old again, so that's good. Um, the Queen of the Valkyries. I spent a week of my life trying to beat her and... I literally had to get to the point where I had to get my brother to come round so he could... I, I've written, like, right, these are the things she's going to do. You keep an eye on her if I'm healing. So if she starts doing an animation that triggers something else, you need to tell me. And we were literally having a conversation through this fight of, like, okay, I'm going to heal. Uh, right, okay, I'm going to go in with that attack and then I'll get back. She's going to do the dive. Okay, she's gone into that one. We need to leave her alone. Hit her once, hit her twice, get back, heal. It was a full-on... Like an error of us both manically talking to each other to get through this one fight. That's why I love this game. That's why I can't wait for God of War. When God of War 2 arrives, or whatever they choose to call it on PS5, that, I imagine, will be the day that I buy a PS5. Because I am not waiting any longer than is absolutely necessary to play this, the sequel to this brilliant, brilliant, brilliant game. Yeah, that's uh, it's all really... All of that is true. And the reason it's not on my list is just i felt like i was missing something from not finishing any previous god of war game right i, I feel like i feel like the the reason that god of war works so well is because it is that soft reboot mm. um but it's a soft reboot that you still need to have played everything else and i've played god of war god of war 2 god of war 3 ghost of sparta i've not played ascension um i've played those four games i know roughly what's going on i haven't actually finished any of them even though i liked them and then we get to god of war 2018 and yeah i think the opening fight against well he's called the stranger in that bit but it's balder yes um 100 sets the tone for that game and it's like Mm -hmm. oh fuck okay kratos is on the back foot this is the first fight of the game and already it feels like it feels like the end fight of man of steel it feels hopeless and it feels destructive and i'm like oh that's the scale we're dealing with now because the scaling the previous god of war games felt cartoony and yes and not bad not bad at all it felt like it felt you know it's the it's the closest you get to an anime in some sense it is cartoony escalation it's power rangers escalation yeah um whereas this was like this is escalation and it matters it feels impactful so i think it's great but i don't i can't appreciate it enough because i I don't realize what a step sideways and a step up this is entirely and and i like i like the story with atreus i like that a lot Mm -hmm. i think as a 
as a setup for a story, the fact that the the game is just about a father and a son going to bury the ashes of a mother. That's that's so different from from the impression that this game gives out. And that should be commended. It's really great. I don't have that special connection with the God of War franchise, and I I can I'm I'm outside looking in. I'm going. That's a brilliant game. This is an incredible decision. That's good writing. That's good pacing. That's good combat. Why don't I care? I just don't know why. <laughs> and I'm guessing it's because because I don't have that tie to it. I've I've not finished a God of War game and continue to not finish, even though I own all of them apart from the second, apart from Ascension and the other PS. Uh, PS Portable one, Chains of Olympus. That's the one because I played mm. Ghost. No, is it Chains of Olympus I own on Ghost of Sparta? Or I don't... It's one of them. Doesn't matter. Um, there's two of the games in the series that I either don't own or haven't played, and the rest yeah. I own have, and have played, but just have not finished. I'm guessing that's it. I like God of War. I just don't love it. Whereas I am in the exact opposite boat, where I think I love it too much. Um, I just think I think as a soft reboot. I'd need to play it with someone who has no experience of the first games to see if it actually adequately explains what's going on. Because I think a lot of the enjoyment I'm getting over is because I do know what went on. And the bit where um, you pull the, the the Blades of Chaos, Chaos are under Kratos' bed. And he's very, very reluctant to use them. But at some point, basically, his hands are forced. And he pulls them out. And up until this point, they haven't played any music from the first trilogy mm. they play proper god of war music as he pulls them out and has to put the fuckers back on and it's oh boy it did something to me so i i get more enjoyment out of this because of the time i've put in with the previous games i accept that but i still think just from the basics of as a standalone game combat is great it feels ve- the, the way the axe feels when you pull it back to you just the, mm, oh holy. yeah that feels good that feels just, so good on the whole god of war feels good um that's all i have to say about that right now let's see what you've done for number two i get the feeling that this is going to evolve into a longer discussion because i think i've done something that you are not going to like okay okay so at number two i have put legend of zelda breath of the wild okay released in 2017 for the nintendo switch and the wii u simultaneously it's the most video gamey video game to ever have video gamed. It's mm-hmm. arguably, and I think realistically, the best video game of all time. Yeah. Um, but I have to put my favourite to number one. Fair enough. And even though I have played Breath of the Wild start to finish, 90 hours plus, twice, Oof. It's, it's making number two. And oh wow! It's got a sting. I know it's. I know it will sting you, Darren, because you may as well say it now. Yeah, my number one game of uh, this generation is, of course, FIFA 17. <laughs> um, it is it's a, the natural peak of the franchise. <laughs> <laughs> Just you know, totally redefines what it is to be a FIFA game. Uh, yeah, of course, it's Breath of the Wild at number one. Um, I've got on a great lens to explain why I think it is. The single greatest video game ever made, but uh, yeah. Well, let's have the conversation now because we all know what your number one's going to be. Yeah. Um, if you haven't figured it out by now, um, you, we'll figure it out in a couple of minutes because I'll just have I'll yeah. just have a couple of minutes on my number one later on. But let's talk about Breath of the Wild and how it totally redefined how you interact with a video game. Yeah, it's the new benchmark for so many genres that it's it's unbelievable. Like 
Harry, Harry deals with exploration, I think, is its greatest accomplishment. Yeah. Of, once you get off the plateau, like, I, I will remember, this is another one where context helps, of the journey of that day, of me going from being real sad that I don't get to play it, <laughs> to going to buy a video game for a console I do not own, um, <laughs> and having to get you to come to my house after several train delays in order to pick me up from a train station so we could go home and play this game in my house until 2am in the morning. That was a good day. Uh, yeah, of us jumping off... When it updates, when you finish all the stuff on the Great Plateau and it, your objective just uh, changes to defeat Ganon, you're like, oh, okay, um, <laughs> I'll get on that. That is a brilliant time. The second you paraglide off the Great Plateau for the first time and you land and it is just... You have one single goal... And 10,000 ways to go about it. And every, it feels like every little section of the game, you can look into yonder, spot something, and think, I'm going to have to go and have a look at that and see what that is. Yep. It is it, that cycle of that explore and reward is the most gratifying thing in any video game. Of just the feeling that you are discovering something that obviously hundreds of thousands of other people have discovered before, but you feel like it's happening to you uniquely. Like, no game has ever hit that high point of me exiting um, one of the, um, what are they called? Not dungeons, the shrines uh, on Lake Hylia and just writing something down in the notebook. Because I did this with pen and paper, writing stuff down in my little notebook of looking up and seeing the dragon flying over the top. Having seen it in no previews, never having mentioned it, going, what the fuck is that? <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, what the f- am I meant to fight that? Nothing I have ever played will ever match that moment of just so like, my God, I'm in this video game. I've only just played like three hours of this and it's already doing this to me. And that cycle is is like perfection. There is nothing any video game comes that comes even close to that sense of risk and reward of go over that hill and just see what's there. Yeah, the, like you said, exploration, traversal, travel. We were talking about Red Dead Redemption 2 and we were talking about Horizon earlier um, and only Breath of the Wild does it right. Mm-hmm. Only Breath of the Wild makes going from point A to point B the point of playing the game. Obviously, yeah. you've got that central mission, go and defeat Ganon. Yep, you'll get to it. You'll spend 90 hours fucking about doing literally anything else first. Um, because you don't want the game to end. You know, I, I saw that entire... You know, there's that um, there's a quest in the game where you literally just set up your own town. Yes. I did all of that. I, I, I didn't want the game to stop. I was enjoying it. I was starting to um, try and get all the, the things from the Monster Parts seller, where he gives you, like, yep. ex- I just want all that stuff. I, I just want to see everything that's in the game. I... I but, well... I was about to say I bought Amiibo for this game. I did, and I didn't. I bought NFC cards that emulate the Amiibos mm-hmm. <laughs> because I wanted every little bit of content squeezed out of this game, and I did it twice over. I did it on Wii U and Nintendo Switch. That's how good yep. the game is. It's a fucking long game. It's got a lot to do. Some of it, you know, the struggle of going into the Goron City, I'll always remember that. Oh, yeah. That was an that was. uphill battle. Uh-huh. Like... And this thing, I remember we compared notes when we were reviewing it. And I had to, it was like, we had such separate, even though we played the exact same game and finished it the same way, we had such different, like, 
versions of this. This is why I think it's like one that's great to talk about with other people who've played it. Because I went through that entire game. I didn't even start the Tarry Town one in my original playthrough because I didn't know it was an option. I just didn't explore that particular part. Mm. I never saw a bear. I played easily like 90, 100 plus hours and didn't once come across a bear that apparently you found in like your first five hours and managed to ride. Yeah. Like, it happened to me. I Finding Ganon's horse was fantastic. Oh, finding, yeah. Finding Zelda's horse, equally awesome. Just finding that one temple that's just infested with guardians. And, like, you're already oh, in there God, by the yeah. time that clock... And you're like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. It's... <laughs> oh, I... This thing, it has... If if we can be critical for just a second. In my eyes, it only has two major flaws. That I think that gameplay loop hides everything else. It could have a lot more than that and still be, in my opinion, the best game of this generation and probably still the best video game ever. I think it has easily the weakest music of any Zelda game. When it comes Easily. in, it's good. It's just so, yeah. you know, sparing in using it. It mainly I, relies on the the noise of nature, to be honest. Exactly. I understand that from, like, you want ambience, because you're spending a lot more time not in set locations. It's not... Because it's not um, diver, uh, divided up as much as other Zelda games. So you can have, like, you know... A lot more music going in because you're playing it in a lot more uh, compartmentalized fashion as opposed to just spending all your time in the you know the open world. I feel like if there was an option to toggle that off so people wouldn't get sick of music, I'd be happy with that. But I think it just doesn't have that. There's the one in the trailer, the trailer music, which isn't even in the game somehow. Like it exists only in that trailer that everyone loves. I think that's why. You know, it, that's a big problem for me, is that I love Zelda music. It's the only franchise I really do give a shit about the music for, and it's lacking in this one. And the other one is the lack of dungeons. You do miss them, because the Divine Beasts are a change, but not necessarily a change for the better, I would say. I do miss the dungeons, which do appear to be coming back for the sequel. That is true. Um, that's it. That and the lack of the Minish, because I know they were in there at the design stage, and I kind of miss them because I love the Minish cap so much. That's it. Mm. And none of those issues are complete, you know, Achilles heel like like Arkham Knight has. That doesn't ruin it. It just means that it's got some lesser parts that other Zelda games have done better. But as a complete package, ain't nothing touching this. You were talking. You were talking about games that that take risks with God of War. There is no game like this that has taken this many risks and somehow become the genre-defining version of that. Yeah, you know, it it became an open world game that every open world now aspires to be, and mm-hmm. that's a big deal from the mostly story-focused games you get in Legend of Zelda. Yes, they have big worlds, but like they're normally compartmentalized. You compare this to Skyward Sword, it's you know it's. I know everyone says apples to oranges. You can compare those. They're fruit. It's apples and nuclear waste. <laughs> you know, like, they're, they're, they're no, in no way similar. And yet somehow this is the defining one. You have one weapon primarily in every preceding Zelda game, and it's just a sword. And here you don't have to do that. You can have whatever you want. And those weapons will also degrade and break. And some people might not like that. But, hey, there are games that copy that now. It became yep. the standard bearer for breakable weapons in games. Like before that, people were like, "Well, this sucks," and yet for some reason it works here. I, I know, I know a lot of people that don't like degrading and breakable weapons, but I think it adds an element of challenge 
that you don't get in other games. This that's what makes otherwise yep. I think Zelda would be too easy. I think you're right. I, I think I mean you get those upgrades and the health upgrades and the stamina upgrades. Good God, do you need stamina upgrades? Um, but it works. You know, all of these changes, all of these. I mean, they even changed how Link looks. They changed the primary visual identifier of Link. Gone is the green tunic. Gone is the elf hat. He wears a, a blue champion's tunic now, and that's carried mm-hmm. on over to Smash Brothers. Like, right. Every mortal thing that could be changed was changed. And not only did it work, it became the best it's ever been. And I think because it denies you some of those things, it means when you do get them and you get, you know, when you finally get the tunic of the wild and he looks like Link, you're very happy about that. When you finally pull the Master Sword out the pedestal, when you finally have all the hearts you need to pull that fucker out the ground, you feel like it's so much more meaningful at that point. I mean, you usually have to work to get the Master Sword in any video games anyway, but because you've gone through all these degrading weapons just waiting and waiting and seeing it teased and you haven't got enough hearts to pull it out the first time I got to the Deku tree. And you're like, oh, fuck's sake, I'm going to have to go and earn this immediately. The second you pull off, you're like, let's fucking go. Let's go Clan Ganon right the fuck now because I've got my boy back. <laughs> That's just, oh, and I could, we need to stop because I will talk for the next two hours about how much I adore everything about this video game. I know I said I'd play Horizon uh, Forbidden West first of a next-gen consoles. Oh, or at least upcoming games. That's because I had slightly forgotten that we're getting a Breath of the Wild sequel. Because of course I would play that instantly if I had the chance. Uh, if it if it's this game, just more so. That's the thing. I worry for when they have to do a proper sequel to this, when they have to do the next game in this series that isn't just a Breath of the Wild sequel. I worry for them because I don't know if you can top this, lads. I genuinely don't know how you do that. I wouldn't. Cause... I wouldn't be so dour. You think about the last great Zelda game that people thought was the game of best game of all time. Yeah, that was Ocarina of Time. Then, yeah. then they had their Majora's Mask, and then they did Wind Waker. Good point, but I feel like this is such a like. Admittedly, yeah, Ocarina of Time is probably the best analogy because of the stratospheric step forward it was from two D, you know, snares Zelda games of you know a link to the past to then playing Ocarina of Time next. That's what it felt like between Skyward Sword and, and Breath of the Wild. It's just such a Herculean fucking step forward that it's probably going to be a few years of, like, good Zelda games. There's very few bad Zelda games other than, like, Zelda 2. Skyward Sword is largely just problems with the controls more than anything else. It's going to be a few years of, like, good to great Zelda games, but I feel like it's going to be at least another 10, 15 years before we get that next, like, holy fuck the next proper jump forward for this franchise but still just because you know worrying about the future should not diminish what you have now it shouldn't be you know oh we shouldn't make a game that good because we'll never be able to top it doesn't matter because they made the greatest video game of all time yeah they dethroned mario and the game's still 40 quid new so exactly so it should be you should never this should never go on sale you should have to pay the full amount to enjoy a game this goddamn good defending the uh, the pricing point there that's unusual yep <laughs> right okay very quickly um my number one you know what this is you figured it out by now um it's the only game i haven't talked about yet it's spider-man yeah. released in 2018 exclusive for the playstation 4 marvel spider-man is 
easily my favorite game of the generation i'd i'd love to tell you that it's close darren i'd love to tell you that it's fucking not i know it's not the best i know it's not the genre defining era defining you know full expectation of a video game like breath of the wild is what i see marvel spider-man is though is a game with literally no flaws doing exactly what it needed to do and overcoming much in the same way that breath of the wild did for rock arena at the time uh overcoming the expectation of the classic game and not just not just meeting it not just leaping it over by a couple of points like catapulting past spider-man 2 like the original like movie spider-man 2 video game is brilliant marvel spider-man on playstation 4 is the defining spider-man experience it is the defining superhero experience and in, for my money it's the defining game of this generation it is so narrow focused on just getting being spider-man right whether that's swinging whether that's combat whether that is in fact stealth whether that's challenge rogues gallery characterization story everything you'd want from a spider-man experience is here and it's at full blast all of the goddamn time even the dlc is good even if it does happen to ramp up the challenge a little bit too far for some people like Mm. it's still so 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 satisfying i cannot wait for what comes next because if if spider-man 2 a full spider-man 2 even though miles morales is apparently brilliant if a full spider-man 2 is somehow better than this my tiny little mind is going to implode (laughs) (laughs) see this is the thing i obviously i put it in my top five i put it in at number four i clearly really like this game and i think i I agree with most of what you said there but it just as much as i like it it lacks that little bit of special sauce that I think my top three has. And I think if it had that, it would then be a much bigger question between that and Horizon Zero Dawn over, which would be number three. One and two was locked in position. Second I played both of those games, it was all over. I just think that's the only reason I, I think I, I, I can't put it any higher than what I have. It's just I feel like... I know I say this a lot and it's game repetitive, but I feel like it's just the sequel has every chance in the world to have that little bit of something-something that gets it over that line, that little bit of intangible x-factor that puts it over that line into being a truly like remarkable game for the ages that i just feel this first one for whatever reason it's minuscule the margins for it being that are are very very small but i just feel like for me personally it's it's that side the side quests and just not having stuff that because as a superhero game it's not a one-to-one comparison obviously but it has to go up against arkham city which as an all-encompassing game and i speak a lot about that atmosphere that i feel like batman really gets if it had that if it felt like a lived in marvel new york city where there's so many things going on that are not anything to do with me i think i'd feel better about it it feels like spider-man is directly involved with all the story beats and there isn't just stuff that you get that feeling like it's just going on in the background. It's nothing to do with anything else. It's just villains doing villainy stuff that you happen to drop in on at the right time. I feel like that's all stuff that you can add in a sequel that I feel will definitely set Apparently, the side quests have kind of been sorted, if not 100% rectified, in Miles Morales. So that's another reason I'm really looking forward to that game because it addresses one of my few gripes with that game. And I do only have a few gripes. I like a lot of the things they did. It just, for me, 
that little bit of stuff you can't quite put your finger on isn't there as it is with my top three games. I get that. I'm not sure whether I completely agree. I, I think that the the main problem with the side stuff in this one is that it's always centred around a police radio, which mm. as a device to get you to know that there is a crime going on, it works, but it's not involving. It's not like you can just see something happening in the world. I genuinely feel like because of what they were trying to include in this game that's something that can be improved with the new hardware which is what's going to make miles morales an interesting play and the full spider-man 2 just the absolute one to watch for this generation um because those small little things like you'd be swinging around and then you'd be like oh this shit's going down like a couple of blocks over and you would know you didn't just come across it which was a shame. Imagine, imagine coming across Morbius the Living Vampire in much the way that Man Bat did in Arkham yep. Knight. That's what this game needs as a sequel, mm-hmm. but is still, because of how good it is to move from one side of the city to the other, I barely used fast travel. I think I used fast travel to get in the... Um, in the DLC, because it focuses, like, the first one is mostly up the top end of the map, the second one's around the middle, and the bottom, the last one's at the bottom. I yep. only used it to get back up to there for my previous save. If something required me to be from one side of Manhattan to the other, I'm swinging. There's, that is the entire thing I want to do. And I wouldn't want much to interrupt the sheer speed that you can build up whilst doing that. Um, maybe the Miles Morales game actually addresses that a little bit, because Miles is not as quick as peter like it's shown that he's inexperienced he doesn't land perfectly on his feet his spider senses and all there maybe that will actually feel more involved but for my money i want a superhero game to be a power trip and that's what spider-man gives you you are quicker than your enemy you are stronger than your enemy you're also more equipped than your enemies those gadgets are so good so 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 go good like that reminds me of um of the combat this is gonna sound stupid this reminds me of the very combat of spider-man on the playstation one like i get it yeah <laughs> that's that's what it reminds me of and it just it consistently evolves on that and it gives you more shit to play with as the story goes on and more incentive to and then you know you get quite far in the game and then all of a sudden the next chapter of the game starts and there's more trouble to solve there's now a gang war going on you know that kind of stuff it evolves in such a an interesting way to me and even like the stealth missions how how did how did we get to a point where a spider-man game handles stealth better than both a ninja game and a batman game I'm not sure how that happens, but it did. Yeah, true. I I, I still think I prefer Batman's approach to stealth, but that's just me personally talking, so fair enough. No, I think, again, a brilliant game. All of these, I don't think there's anything in the top five other than Persona 5 that I (laughs) wouldn't give a nod to and say, yep, anyone who plays the game, you're going to get the most out of what these consoles can do. These all represent the best of what these consoles can do and it just means that we're so excited to see what all of them can do with bigger and better hardware going forward so i mean as an overall generation i think quality's higher in well consistently higher across most of these games but i i feel like the because i've mentioned so many ps3 games that i think are slightly superior to these i don't know if it necessarily ranks above the ps3 oh well the ps3 uh, generation of things so that also includes um well the wii but um 
there's that might be an interesting list as well. If we make that list, and then it'd be easier to compare. Them. Maybe, maybe that won't be something to do. Huh. We need stuff to do. We do. To be fair, I mean, I... well, you're getting a PS5, so you don't need that much stuff. To <laughs> yeah, do. as people are listening, I'm probably setting it up. So that's uh... bastard. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, the 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 ninth generation of video games are here. Um, last week, you had the opportunity to pick up an Xbox Series X, and this week, um, if you've pre-ordered it you have the chance to pick up a PlayStation 5. Um, I hope you are enjoying those new gaming consoles, and already I hope you're making new gaming memories and starting to form an idea of what you think this generation's going to be. I, I mean, I already know I want to play uh, Horizon 2, God of War 2, Spider-Man 2, um, whatever From Software come out with next, as well as Demon Souls. We, yeah. we know coming up there's going to be updates to current games, so like Cyberpunk and Borderlands and a lot of other things are getting those full uh, 4K upgrades, which will be very interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but to finish, let's run down um, 20 through 1. Let's just rename all of our games from the very bottom of the top 20 to the very top, starting with Darren. Gotcha. We'd also forgot about Hogwarts uh, Legacy, which might be actually the one that gets me a PS5 if it gets it. Oh, yeah, of course. I forgot about that. And anyway. Uh, right. So if you listen to the first part, you will actually hear that Safe Park, uh, the Fractured But Hole, was at number 20. But that's because I forgot about Mario Kart. So uh, we're going to put Mario Kart 8 at 20, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order at 19, uh, Untitled Goose Game at 18, Pokemon Sword at 17, Crash Bandicoot 4 at 16, Assassin's Creed Syndicate at 15, Legend of Zelda Link Between Worlds at 14, Ghost of Shima at 13, Assassin's Creed Origins at 12, Mario Odyssey at 11, Jurassic World Evolution at 10, Pokemon Moon at 9, Far Cry 4 at 8, Last of Us 2 at 7, Red Dead Redemption 2 at 6, Batman Arkham Knight at 5, Spider-Man at 4, Horizon Zero Dawn at 3, God of War at 2, and Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild at number 1, which means in terms of the best year for video games was actually 2017 with uh, five of those. Uh, although, with SafePod dropping out, that actually means it's tied with 2018, which both have four games apiece. That's interesting. Um, and for my list, we've got uh, at number 20, Pokemon Go, at number 19, PT, at number 18, Forza Horizon 4, at number 17, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, at Pokemon, uh, yeah, at number 16, Pokemon Sun and Moon slash Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, because I consider them the same game, at number 15, Destiny, at number 14, Apex Legends, at number 13, Ghost of Tsushima, the only one we agreed on. <laughs> They're putting it in exactly the same place. Um, at number 12, Rocket League. At number 11, Undertale. At number 10, The Jackbox Party Pack 3. At number 9, Untitled Goose Game. At number 8, The Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. At number 7, Red Dead Redemption 2. At number 6, Bloodborne. At number 5, Titanfall 2. At number 4, Persona 5. At number 3, Stardew Valley. At number 2, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And at number 1, Marvel's Spider-Man. Just looking over the list of mine, um, where I have nothing from 2013, two games from 2014, four games from 2015... The winner overall for the generation with five games is 2016 for me. Uh, two games from 2017, four games from 2018, two games from 2019, and one game from this year, 2020. Fantastic. Right. That has been an exhaustive look over what we thought uh, of all the, all the past games we've played on this generation. Uh, like we said in the first episode, there are still some games that are coming out for um, well, PS4 uh, and Switch. That could, I mean, the Switch isn't going anywhere. The Switch is probably only about halfway through its life cycle. So 
there's still plenty of games that could come out on it. I mean, Breath of the Wild 2 is going to come out on that, I would imagine. So Easily, yeah. Um, even right now, there's Horizon... Uh, sorry, Horizon. Um, there's Hyrule Warriors um, uh, Age of Calamity, uh, which is out now. Um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is coming out, Cyberpunk, um, so on and so forth. There's a lot of games still to come. The PS4 and the Switch, the Xbox One, are not dead by any means. But we felt like this would be a nice cap as we now broach... Or hopefully be a new gutter reviews on the PS5. Hopefully so. Uh, and those hopefully will be coming by the end of the year. At the very least, talking about Spider-Man Miles Morales, Demon Souls, and probably Astro's Playroom as well. But we'll see how that goes mm-hmm. um, with how far I go. Oh, and Bug Snacks. Who could forget Bug oh, Snacks? Oh, God, Bug Snacks. Um, <laughs> it's from the Octodad yeah, we... people. I have hope. True. So, um, video games are probably going to have to carry us, and we've definitely been more pitch episodes because movie has now officially abandoned 2020 altogether, <laughs> as Free Guy and uh, something else, um, Death on the Nile, have both now moved back to 2021. Oh, so, shit, have they? I didn't know that. Yes, uh, they, they Disney finally pulled them uh, a few oh. days ago. They are now into 20. I don't know if they've been given new release dates yet, but they've been moving. So, realistically, I mean, The Mandalorian is going strong. Um, the, have you seen the new episode? I've seen the first, haven't seen the second. Unbelievable, Michael. Pull your figure out. Um, <laughs> so we've got The Mandalorian, which we'll have a review for. Uh, Division will be dropping before the end of the year, though I don't know if it's dropping all in one go, if it will be like The Mandalorian release week to week. Um, so that, Soul, is coming. Yep. Um, but I, I think that's a variant. Um, um, not a... We might we might get round to reviewing Borat. I don't know about that, but we'll see. That's, oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I feel like maybe it's forced my hand. I kind of need to watch it now. Yeah, I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to more than anything. Little aside, this week's episode of last week's night may be the greatest of all time. Oh, yeah, of course. The relief <laughs> of what's going to happen on that show. Not that we get political, but thank fucking God. Um... <laughs> oh, yeah, that uh, that was... That was uh like five days staring at bbc news like come on right. fucking move genuinely do you know they have to do that bit where the old president shows the new president around the white house um <laughs> they usually get sworn in on january 20th which as you all know is the greatest day in mankind's history as it's my birthday so four years ago it was miserable because i had to watch trump go in and obama show a man who doesn't like him around his house this year however <laughs> Oh, it may be, it's probably not going to happen because I can't see him having that amount of dignity to show Joe Biden around. But, oh, God, I'm going to be watching that 24-7 on my birthday. <laughs> Just in the uh, in the hope that you get to watch a Cheeto being wrestled out of the White House. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, just kick him out. Just please let him smack you the door on his ass as he leaves. Please, God. <laughs> I, yeah, can not wait. That's going to be fun. For that. And uh, we cannot wait to be back with another episode of A Bit of Sweet. But for now... It's been a long one, so we're going to wrap it up. So thank you very much for listening to this episode and indeed the previous episode of A Bit of Sweet. Um, you can go and find me on Twitter at, at that Mike Going. Uh, you can go and find Darren on Twitter at, at the Guttridge. We're also both on Instagram. You can go and follow the site on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook under the username FowleyNT. That's F-O-U-L-E-N-T. Find us on Spotify. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Find us on SoundCloud or wherever you can pick up an RSS feed under the username FowleyNT or FowleyNT Podcast, depending on your service provider and of course go to fansentainment.com for more like this there will be more year-end stuff coming up there is more video game stuff let's be real there's probably not going to be much movie stuff but we will try our goddamn best um (laughs) and yeah it's been real welcome to the ninth generation everybody bye everybody
Goodbye.